0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Phil. I'm joined by Logan and John today. It's episode number 80 already. On today's episode, we'll kind of get a summer update and a preview of what's going on in the fall here at Woodsmith and Popular Woodworking. So I hope you enjoy today's show.
1: This episode of the Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques, to furniture projects, to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com.
0: So first off, one of us traveled to Las Vegas last week. Sure did. For the... Biannual confab
1: that is, AWF. Yep. How was it, John?
2: <laughs> oh, that was supposed to be me.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, it was. It was good. Um, so AWFs is held biannually, like you said, Phil. Um, it alternates between uh, AWFs and IWF in Atlanta, um, and. Yeah. So Jack, um, our advertising sales guy and myself were out there, um, for the week. Uh, I flew out actually a couple days early and took the opportunity to shoot some photos, um, for a uh, couple of upcoming turning articles. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a cool show. I've never been to AWFS. Um, A lot of industrial, I guess that's probably the better way to put it. The people that go to those shows are the cabinet shops that have, you know, numerous employees, um, or really big cabinet shops that make, you know, cabinets in China and ship them across, you know, uh, a lot of big cabinet companies. Um, it's definitely an industrial type show, but that being said, there was a lot of what I would consider our clients there. Um, meaning, uh, companies we've worked with in the past, um, companies that buy advertising, uh, and a lot of tool manufacturers. So it was uh, interesting to be able to meet with a lot of these companies that we've worked with and I've worked with um, in the past and actually put a face with a name. So that was kind of fun. So um, some new tools coming out that I think we'll be doing some reviews on. So that'll be, that'll be interesting. So overall, it was a great show. Um, yeah.
2: Were there a lot of other social media uh, content creator type personalities there? The
1: Only them, one or? I ran into was April Wilkerson. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only one I ran into. Uh, George Von Driska was there from Woodworkers Guild of America. Um, obviously, our, our buddies down the street at Wood Magazine were there. Um, Fine Woodworking had a booth... And I only saw somebody in it once. Um, I think it must have been like their ad rep for final working that was there. Um, I, I thought our buddy Ben Strando might be there, but I don't think he was. Um, so, uh, yeah, not, not a ton. Um, one booth had a guy in it that I've never heard of before. Um, the paint line? Paint line? You guys heard of that? Like the guy the guy came up with this idea for a like a spray booth but it's like a contractor spray booth so it's like if you're in a house doing a remodel you put it up in the house oh, okay. um and uh this other gentleman got a hold of the idea or or collabed with him on the idea and ended up producing them um but as Jack and I were walking away from the booth, he said, "You know, check out the YouTube channel." And this guy from Paintline, he had like f- almost five hundred thousand subscribers on his YouTube channel. I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, like he has a bunch of like painting tutorials on like it's like home painting, not uh, like not necessarily not Bob Ross. It's it's mm-hmm. like cabinet and home painting, so kind of cool." But no, it wasn't a ton of. I think usually there is a much bigger social media influencer type presence um triton usually brings matt and april out there um for that but triton didn't have a booth this year just because it was too cost prohibitive to fly everybody in with covid uh quarantines and stuff from coming in out of the country they came in they'd be coming in from england so Mm. you know definitely it was uh, from what i've been told it was definitely a smaller show than it has been in the past so baker Sawmills was there though that was really cool um I know somebody in town that runs a baker sawmill, so it was kinda cool to see. They didn't have a sawmill there, but they had a lot of um oh like resaw machines and edging machines, which was kinda cool. So it's like post post milling processing. Post mill huh. processing, which was was pretty neat to, to see some of those. Um the big uh, I didn't realize that they sold a big a big huge like C N C uh slab flattener, which was kinda cool. Really? So yeah. I didn't, I didn't dare ask how much it is. So, yeah. Although I've always wanted my, one of my names on those sold signs they put on top of the machines that trade shows, you know, <laughs> this machine is now proudly owned by Logan Whitmer LLC. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. <laughs> I was looking at, uh, the AWFS special issue from woodshop news. One of Mm -hmm. our other sister publications and they is that the
1: the one that was bigger like the almost like a4 size
0: yeah no this one it was like a regular size but then it had a like a black book insert or whatever gotcha anyway they had uh an ad in there for a company i want to say it was like weimar or something like that that compresses wood sawdust and chips into little briquettes in different shapes yep i mean not like the little tiny pellets they were yeah whatever and i thought that would be super cool yeah there was there was a
1: handful of those type of companies there um there was a i think they were german i think it was a german company that they had these it, they, it basically looked like a hopper that you dumped like your wood scraps into and then there was just a bunch of teeth in there and it just was one of those like you know have you seen the slow motion videos of them shredding like whole refrigerators and stuff that's kind of what it was like and yeah. their system would shred down scrap waste into like five different categories so you could basically dial how fine you want it yeah so you could basically like mulch it to where it's like just shredded mulch uh, or you go finer, finer, finer. And then they had a post-processing thing that made the actual like little pellets. Yep. But I did see the one you're talking about, they made like logs, almost like bricks. Yeah. Like, the, the one for-
0: on their ad, they had them. It was almost like the size of like a tomato paste can. Yeah. Yep. So, hmm. so. which I mean, I thought I that would be kind of cool to get one of We got to see if we can get Jack to get us one of those for, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't put out near enough the sawdust. No. But, it's like you run it once a year. Right. But I mean, we you do have, like, have, we do have wood burning folk at the office here. So. We do.
1: See, those have always interested me. And that's like, if, if there is one question that I see all the time, doesn't matter in what group i'm in if it's a power tool group or a hand tool group or a, even a sawmill group people always ask what what do, what do other people do with their sawdust when they're done with it you know because i think everybody's like oh yeah you know it it it's useful for something but we don't really know what and yeah people always say oh you know i i give it to local farmers for horse bedding as long as there's no walnut dust in it you know stuff like that mm-hmm. um And inevitably, somebody always says, oh, I I can press it into bricks for burning. And from my understanding, at least in a home, like a a home garage or home shop setting, the pressures you need to get it to stick back together is astronomical. So it's not feasible to do in your house. Uh, So a lot of people will mix in a binder with it. So generally, that's like paraffin wax. Um, Yeah. To me, this seems pretty cost prohibitive to try to recycle your sawdust. You have to buy paraffin wax, you Mm. know, to recycle your sawdust. You
2: could find like half burnt old candles, I'm sure, or all the kids' crayons (laughs) from each year of school that they send home that you, you know, gather. So yeah. Although I'm
0: kind of, I have the idea in my head here of the can crusher that John made Ooh, not that yeah. long ago. Yep. And you just put a bigger lever on it. Yep. And then we can make yep. sawdust briquettes. Well, I wonder what
1: happen if you like got the sawdust wet, you know what I mean? Sure. Like
0: if to you, make you got it a wet, easier to compress pack in. Y- yeah. So
1: I don't know. There is, um, so there's a guy Ishitani Furniture. He's on YouTube. Uh, he's a Japanese uh, furniture maker. Um, his videos are, what do they call it, ASMR. Or it's like he doesn't talk at all. It's just him working in his shop. Um, and if I remember right, he has a sawdust burning stove, which is super interesting. Um, and I've seen plans for a handful of them where it's like, it's a barrel that you you put basically a four-inch PvP. PB- C pipe down the center. You pack sawdust around it and tamp it down, um, and you gotta pack it in there. Then you pull the PVC pipe out and you light the inside ring, and it just burns down.
0: Oh,
1: like that's interesting. At some point, I might try to make one. But that'd be cool. There'd be yeah, it'd be a good use for it. But yeah, I mean, I imagine if you're like, I was just thinking like somebody like, you know, Liberty Hardwood um, yeah. up in. Ankeny where we buy a lot of our lumber for the the magazine if you drive by their building in the back there is mountains absolute mountains of edging material so it's like stuff that they've edged off boards Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah I think somebody like that I think would definitely benefit from that you know because I think they just give those away to people to come and get but you could get a little side hustle selling pellets as you're Right. Cutting them and grinding them and stuff. So I don't. know. It's kind of interesting. No, it was just I did meet of... our. I say I did meet our counterparts at Woodshop News. Speaking of it,
0: you know they're part just, of our company in our Marine Group. In the Marine Group, yeah, I was just going to say because yeah. they, uh, Active Interest Media, our parent overlords, have a home group that we're part of, along with Garden Gate and Cuisine, and a lot of the. Uh, old house journal and that kind of thing. But the then we at have
1: home hobbies.
0: Right. And then we have a marine group that is devoted to um, pouring money into holes in the water. Also known as boats. Right. And then they also have woodshop news in there, which is kind of just a quirk of how companies form over time. Yep. And, uh, for anybody
1: not aware, would you, Phil, would you say that woodshop news is a, definitely a B2B.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's definitely definitely business business to business. business. Yeah. Yeah. So their, their market, they usually have, you know, a few departments on, you know, new and notable things going on in the wood industry, um, kind of a wood market snapshot. They'll take a specific species, each issue and, kind of see where its pricing lies and demand relative, you know, like to the last year or so. And then they'll do a feature of, you know, one or two professional shops ranging from, you know, small one-man things to fairly large companies that are doing a variety of cabinet work. But yeah, there's a heavy emphasis on industrial process in there. It's interesting to read. I usually peruse every oh, issue. But Yeah.
1: It it was nice to meet those guys too. Um I mean with our company being spread over the entirety of the US um and in some instances outside the US uh it's nice to <laughs> It's nice to meet your coworkers once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was kind of cool. <laughs>
2: So did you get like a prank war going with the Wood Magazine folk, or <laughs> yeah, no, no,
1: we should have. <laughs> I we only ran into them once, like we happened to be crossing like main aisles at the same time. We we're like, hey, hey, so <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was cool to talk to those guys. With, yep. I mean, it's, I know we've talked about this before. Like, there's only what three or four woodworking publications left. Sorry, I'm not including the trade-owned ones, like the Rockler magazines or the Woodcraft magazines, but, um, independent magazines, there's only a handful of us left, so it's kind of, you know, there's definitely space for everybody, um, so it's, it's cool to catch up with those guys, see what they have in the works, you know, so, Yeah. um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what the next show that Jack and I go to is, um. But I think we'll probably do IWF next year, which I think is going to be a lot of the same thing. A lot of CNC. and this, this trade show, just the AWF that we were just at, happened to be smaller than normal because of it being one of the first trade shows back. And, you know, there's still some uncertainty. There's still places that have pretty harsh quarantining guidelines. So, right, you know. Yeah, not a I'm, ton of people there, but I'm sure
2: good. some of the companies had a hard time committing that far out to just not knowing what mm-hmm. would happen or who would show up, or so.
1: Yeah, yep the uh, the uh, Stosh, the North American um, North, North American sales rep for Triton Tools. We had lunch with him one day, and he said that. It was easier for them to buy the booth and then forfeit their purchase of the booth space uh, than fly everybody over. Just in cost of flights and hotels and quarantining, Mm. it was just—I mean—the the the price just basically doubled because everybody had to be quarantined, so everybody had to be put in hotels, uh, both here and or coming and going, I think. So, you know, Triton, Triton didn't even have a booth um, but we met with stash that so was cool they have a couple new products coming out they'll be fun to see and yeah general uh, did I tell you guys general is back
0: oh I think really? I told Phil
1: yeah yeah just general international general was around for a long time they made Canada stuff and then they were I believe bought or they filed bankruptcy they were bought they turned to general international. And I don't, some just didn't jive. So I believe the company bought it and kind of has sat on the name for the last couple of years. Um, and now general general international and Excalibur are all under a company called DMT holdings. Um, so they're starting to produce some of the old, they, they literally bought the Canadian tooling to produce their machines. Oh, wow. So. They have their 8-inch joiner, and it looks identical to the one we have in the shop from, you know, 1985. Um, <laughs> they do have a couple really cool dust collectors out. Um, well, dust collection systems. One with the automatic on-off. So, when you, it's like a dust extractor. So, when you turn the machine on, the dust collector turns on. We shut it off. It takes five seconds, and the dust collector shuts off. It's like, why hasn't somebody, I mean, yeah, I know we got remotes and we got automatic switches and stuff that you can buy and add on. But why hasn't a manufacturer just included that yet? Because that's silly. Mm-hmm. So that uh, that was cool. And they have a, they have a air cleaner. So a hanging air cleaner that uh, has an auto sensor. So it senses air quality and it says it will, it will sense. I don't remember what their i was looking at their literature yesterday but it's like if you're sitting next to it smoking a cigarette it's going to turn on basically so it senses dust or smoke or whatever in there and will, will kick itself on so those are cool um, they also released a digital table saw which was kind of interesting so the, uh, the one of the general cabinet saws has a fence that is completely digital so you type in your number the fence automatically moves to the right position and the blade height and tilt are all digital as well. So you type it in on the fence and it tilts the blade raises the blade does whatever you need. So and they offer it in both a left and a right tilt, I believe, which was really? the interesting thing. Yeah. So all the people that want to go so, retro with a right tilt. So <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting I'm waiting for John Otto to email me saying, "Hey, look at our new radial arm saw we're bringing out." But, <laughs>
0: Speaking of radial arm saw, I am, I am looking for somebody to write an article for Woodsmith, legitimate, a legitimate article on the virtues of a radial arm saw in a shop. So if you are a radial arm saw aficionado or no one that would like to write for Woodsmith magazine, I want that article. Just putting that out there. The only catch is you have to bring your radial arm sign to the photo studio. Right. <laughs> we will figure out a way to get photos of it. But I would just like to see because I know that there are a lot of folk out there who oh, have yeah. a radial arm saw and love them for whatever kind of purposes. Uh and I did a bunch of woodworking early on when I learned woodworking. My dad had a Craftsman radial arm saw that I thought mm-hmm. was super cool. And I did a bunch of stuff with it, but I don't know. I think it's yeah. just would be an interesting article. So let's yeah. talk about that.
1: <laughs> you know, would, would you say radial arm saws are like out of vogue right now? Like, are they like they've came and gone or just never, they're not going to gain traction with the newer woodworkers, right?
0: Uh I don't I guess it's hard to say because it depends on what your influence is mm-hmm. or so your, if your inspiration. Abram, you're gonna buy one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like
2: can you even get them anymore?
0: Yes. I mean you can. Oh they do have them. Yeah. There's a there's a place in Iowa, the I think it's called the original saw company, that still makes uh radial arm saws. And uh, I was talking to somebody out at the Woodsmith store here in town, no relation, uh, that they're going to have a couple of their saws in the store for demos. Yeah. Cool. So, and I think the original saw company, they're modeled after, or like the old, you know, like one of the classic radial arm saw brands was dewalt i would say they think, look like a dewalt saw yeah. yeah and i think that's what they what they are so Ooh, uh, these are cool see yeah they have a 20
1: inch one with a 7.5 horsepower motor right
2: so that's what's awesome. that you're on their web page yeah. i am What's I'll something our, can go Brit,
0: for?
1: Iowa. i'll oh, put a not, link
0: to it on the show notes page say.
1: If you have to ask, what? you can't afford it. That yes, that's exactly it. Well, okay. So that actually leads, leads into what I am was getting at. Um, oh, they're, uh, yeah, the 14 inch heavy duty rail arm saw is $6,800. So they're definitely like an industrial type, like okay. big yeah. companies. Um, but no, what that leads into kind of what I was getting at. So one of the companies I met with was, uh, the Feldler group. So hammer Feldler. Um, I, I think a lot of people would recognize them from their hammer line, which is the, they were the combo. They are the combo joiner planers, sliding saws, five in ones. Yeah. Um, they're a, I believe a German company. Yes. Um, they're extremely popular in the UK. Like the sliding table saw is extremely popular over there. Um, more, much more, much more so than in the U S why do you think that is? Is it just because we didn't have any
0: manufacturers of them for a long time? Uh, probably. I also think this is also purely conjecture that, mm-hmm. uh, in Europe, there was more, uh, industrialization of woodworking sooner, especially True. after world war II. You know, Mm -hmm. that you had a, a a lot less labor available. So they were going for efficiency and speed efficiency and higher automation and things like that. And that's where, you know, like a lot of panelized construction stems from, which is what a sliding table saw is meant for, you know, is designed around breaking down sheet stock. Sure. So, and I think in the U S we just had. More people that could still work in smaller shops where you're not going to be able to yeah. afford something like that. Um, yeah, I mean um, nobody that's... makes a sliding panel, yeah. sliding table saw that's for a home shop. Really? Uh, you know, the guys that f- we
1: had that Dewalt one. Yeah, the guys one. that Filder would disagree with you.
0: That's true. Yeah, we did have the Dewalt one. Had a big sliding. Had a sliding I don't table
2: know on it, but where that came from, or yeah. Cause I
0: haven't seen anything like that. Since, but I mean, so. if you look at, if you were to take your gen, your generic cabinet saw, mm-hmm. there is no sliding table. I mean, uh, some of those have like aftermarket or add on yeah. slider, mm-hmm. you know, sliding tables, but it's not really built into the construction of the tool, you know, whatever. Um, their add-ons. Yep. Because if you go to like a if you step up to a felder, you're easily twice to three times the price of a cabinet saw.
1: Mm-hmm. Easily. Um and that was I was I was talking I, so I met with Felder and they said uh you know, their their hobby market is a huge portion of their business. Really? Um yes. Well from the hammer line, right? for uh the hammer line and the Uh, five, seven and 900 series, which is the next step up. Um, he said, uh, the, the salesman I was talking to or the marketing guy said that they, they really target an, a niche audience in woodworking. And that is the woodworkers that did very well for themselves during their working life. And now they're retired and instead of buying themselves cars or vacation homes, they're building their shops. Um, so I'm trying to <clears throat> figure out if it fits into our story anywhere. Um, our story, my story being the popular woodworking story. Like it's one of those weird things because, oh, there is a portion of, of our audience that would that would be a, a good fit for it. And I'm sure there's a portion of our audience that probably has some of the hammer or the Felder stuff. Um, but that being said, though, it is very expensive. I mean, they had a big... Oh God, I want to say it was probably a 16 or 18 inch joiner planer combo there. Uh, and the, the sticker price on it was 13,000. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's more than most people have in their machinery, in their shop for one machine. Um But that being said, I think it's still, I don't know. I, I guess I want to know from you guys and from everybody listening, like, is it worth uh, running a story on it? because knowing that a large portion of our audience is not in the position right now to buy that, but they might be down the road. um, Or is it just, are the pages better spent somewhere else or on something
0: else? Uh, I don't think so. I think uh, Popular Woodworking had an article a number of years ago uh, by Kelly Mailer. Okay. I, I think on... Like in praise of European table saws or something like that. Uh, so I it's one of those things where th- there are different flavors of woodworkers, and there are the, the woodworkers who are doing this to save money, and they have are a little frugal by nature and will yep. have a hard time accepting the fact that some people like to spend premium dollars on tools and that there are mm-hmm. those that have that money available to them and they enjoy having quality tools and machines and that's interesting because I think I think there's a lot to be said for what a sliding table saw can do for you you know yeah. because you have that long you know like straight line ripping a you know plank or something like that you can easily do on a on a sliding table saw because you can essentially fixture it to the slider and move it past the blade safely without having to worry about kickback and you know being able to process sheet stock is really cool you know some of the higher end ones i know you were talking about general having their digital things but the higher you know some of them have like the computer display that's like right above where the operator is and you can type in You know rip fence setting and blade tilt and blade height and all that kind of stuff i also think they do a better job of dust collection too just the way that the blade guard and riving knives and all that kind of stuff are set up yeah Hmm. yeah so i was i was trying to pull up the felder website to see what like, John, you worked in a cabinet shop for a while. Did mm-hmm. they have just regular table saws? Or? Uh,
1: we had a
2: big sliding table saw. I don't remember what brand it was, um, but it was a big industrial um, slider.
0: Did think. you use it much? Or
2: uh, Yeah, I used it. Um, I remember – I don't remember what I did, but it feels like I tossed a 4x8 sheet, like – maybe had the fence involved and with the sliders, I don't remember what I did, but I did something wrong and it chucked a four by eight sheet out of it. But cause <laughs> obviously right. it's not supposed to do that. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, this was, you know, 15. <laughs> yeah, this was 15 year, more than 15 years ago. So it's a
1: little hard to remember. Thank you for that, Logan. You're, you're welcome <laughs> I, was, I was i was trying to pull up um the Felder prices on some of their stuff um so they have like their their combination machine it's the c341 i can't see the price on it which it could um but i think something like this might be a little bit easier to stomach a larger price on because it is a um table saw planer jointer and shaper in one, you know, oh, so I sure. think something like that might be a little bit easier to justify the price on because yeah. you're getting, you know, four or five functions instead of something like, you know, the, the giant battleship of a joiner planter combo that that
0: is, but mm-hmm. still, I can't, I can't find the price. Yeah. I guess one thing I like about the design of the sliding table is you know, on a typical table saw, you are, the operator position is basically one place, like more or less directly in front of the blade. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You know, I know that you're Mm -hmm. trying to stand out of the kickback zone, that kind of thing. However, with a slider, because of the way the sliding table is, like you can walk alongside the saw as you work your way through a cut, you know, that that slider is right up tight against the essentially the left side of the blade so that as you're working either a long board or a panel, you know, you end up being both in front Mm -hmm. and alongside the cut as you move through it, which I think makes it a little bit more comfortable to handle pieces rather than trying to, you know, be more or less in one spot throughout the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: It looks like it looks like the C three forty one, which is a five in one machine, um, lists at twelve thousand two hundred dollars. Oh, so yeah. it is. I mean, it is expensive. No matter what way you you cut it, um, can you still
2: can you save uh, on that twelve thousand if you buy in bulk?
1: Like if I get 10 of those, <laughs> I don't. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I, it would, to be honest with you, it wouldn't surprise me um, because what the uh, marketing guy I was talking to was, was telling us is that a lot of these guys that buy their machinery um, like, like the story behind it. It's like when, when you order one of these pieces of machinery, it's your machine is not built until you order it. And what that means is that as your machine is is made from the factory, like from the ground up, there are you know some parts on the shelf, but nothing's put together yet. Your name is attached to that machine and to that serial number from the moment it orders placed until the moment it leaves and gets in your shop. And there are guys that deliver the machine, come into your shop and show you how to use it and set it up. So, or uh, or Hammer will fly you out to their Delaware office and show you how to use it and train you on it. So mm. there's definitely a uh, there's definitely an experience as you buy it. So there's mm. you know I I don't know it, to answer your question I would guess if you say hey I'm gonna buy six machines I'm guessing you might get a little bit better of a deal. Um, but there I mean and you know this isn't just a a, a Felder Group thing. Um, there are other companies that make combination sure. machines or sliding machines. It just happens to be the ones I met with, um, you know, uh, Minimax makes a handful of right. them. There's actually some vintage ones uh, that are around in the U S that are five in ones. Um, there was one for sale, re- probably a couple that it's been a couple of years, um, in Iowa that I almost went and picked up, but it was uh, in parts on a pallet and it's like grizzly you know, made one for a while. Yeah. Yep. There's a handful mm-hmm. of them. So, but yeah, so it's just it's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, I found the article on our archive that Kelly Mailer did for Pop Wood. Oh sure, you August know, and Kelly 2007. had done. Yep, Kelly had done some
1: with um, Fine Woodworking as well, uh, and Felder told us they had a they had a long standing relationship with um, Fine Woodworking, hmm. and that kind of. I don't want to say it fits their market better, but it it kind of the ambiance of the magazine kind of makes it fit in there. You know right. what I mean? Like I higher mean, I get and, that. Yeah. Um, so that being said, I don't know that a I don't know that a sliding saw is more accurate. I will say their blade deactivation mechanism is super cool. So it's like the saw stop, but it doesn't you, like your fingers just have to get within like an eighth of an inch of the blade and it deactivates and it just, it immediately drops the blade. It does not fire anything into the blade. So if you would get your hand close, it trips, shuts itself off, lowers the blade. You can, you know, press a button, turn a key, jump on one foot and then the machinery resets itself and you can keep working without changing a cartridge or anything. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of cool. Um, that's on their, for sure. That's on their bigger, bigger saws, you know, they're, their 12 or 14 inch table saws. So.
0: Cool. There's a little side detour there going from radial arm saws to European table saws.
1: Well, the new, the original saw company saws are pretty
0: pricey and they're kind of niche. I right. thought it
1: fit kind of well. It does. It
0: fits well. It's just <laughs> kind of funny to see how a conversation flows with I will stuff th- like that. I so. will tell you,
1: there ain't no way in hell that the Europeans are going to let radial arm saws into their country.
0: <laughs> not with that kind of attitude. Because
1: Europe's, Europe's one country, if you didn't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was... <laughs> now Becky's going to be really confused if she listens to this because she's like, what? Europe's not one country? Um <laughs> That was, that was a conversation I had with a handful of tool companies. Um, a lot of tool companies right now are growing outside of the U S but everybody mentioned how strict, uh, the, the European countries are on their safety standards. Mm-hmm. Sure. So like, and what the European market expects out of a tool is a step up above what the U S market expects. So mm-hmm. there's a, a couple companies. Um, tool is one. Uh, They are the producers of the the Nova lathe, um, the Comet, the, you know, uh, the Viking DVR drill press, all those, Um, they have a new lathe that is releasing. I don't know if I'm supposed to say the name of it, so I'm not going to say the name of it, but it's, it was designed for the European market um, because they had to meet certain safety standards and a certain quality standard to get into the European market so right. that is releasing in the european market here uh i think before the end of the year and then it, the plan is to release it in the us in early 2022 um which would be really cool i'd like to get my hands on one and give it a spin but don't sh- i won't do it but you know
2: <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty amazing on all the um table saw sled videos we have on youtube that we get a lot of europeans that I mean, it's pretty standard mm-hmm. practice here in the United States to, to make sleds or use sleds on the table saw. But then they get a get a lot of hate that's saying it's not safe. And they all have sliding table saws over there and that
1: we're crazy here, which we are. But, you know, yeah. America. So, I mean, you can't be a woodworker if you don't have beer can rings on your table saw. That's right? right. Like, at least in the U.S.
0: So, So, John, one of the things you've been working on recently with our creative director, Chris Fitch, is coming up with a project schedule for the next year Mm because the end of July clearly signals the time to start planning for 2022. That's right. So you want to talk a little bit about that process? Oh, well, um,
2: Chris and Dylan and I have been kind of going through uh, we I don't remember how long ago we've all got together it's probably been a couple of years now but kind of we usually have a brainstorming session with the entire group and come up with project ideas and uh, just put them in a big group and then we get together and try to slot them into the magazine so you know kind of spacing out like projects like we don't want you know a bookcase every, issue or the same style of furniture every issue. So uh, we just get together and kind of slot things in. And then in each issue, we try to uh, have at least one heirloom type bigger project that's more uh, technique driven, and then maybe a designer's notebook type thing that might be more contemporary or just um, you know something that the designers want to do. Then at least one shop project in each issue as a homage to shop notes. Uh, Keep that in there. Uh, Then maybe one smaller weekend project that's a little bit more attainable. And then one maybe surprise project that you would not necessarily expect in Woodsmith Magazine. Uh, For instance, we've done like the boat Mm -hmm. and the RC boat and... We have a sled coming up. Um, So just something that's kind of unexpected and a little bit more out there. So uh, just try to fill those categories and um, so just kind of space things out. But we were, uh, we got together a a couple weeks ago and we got, I think, six months in and then we started to kind of glaze over a little bit because it's like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if we need just outside help of like filling those in because you just kind of hit a wall. And it's like, all right, we've, you can only do so many bookcases and so many tables. And, and then you just kind of start, everything starts to bleed together. So right. So if anybody's listening and has something that they really want to see or a style or a piece of furniture that they really want to see in the magazine, we are always happy to take suggestions or do personal designs for you.
0: Right. <laughs> well, and we've had, I don't know how many projects have been requested by readers, you know, either that we just get a lot of requests for a given category or a specific type. Um, you know, one that was just in the, I don't know, is that the current issue, the Mox Vice that we mm-hmm. did, um, mm-hmm. was request. I mean, we've had some people requested in the past, um, but one of our super fans Dirt farmer Jay, uh, requested one. And so we thought we'd just give it a shot cause we were looking for a shop project that we needed to put in there. And I think Chris did a great job on the design for it. Mm-hmm. I think that Mox and vice would be a sweet class.
2: Yeah. It's got a lot going on to it with the, the dovetails and yeah. um, different things. So it's kind of cool.
0: So, but, anything coming up that you wanna?
2: Oh, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but no, no. I'm just
0: kidding. I
2: don't. It's hard because it all kind of blends together for us. Like workbenches and router tables are popular shop projects, and it's like it seems like oh, we just did a router table, and then we'll look and like that was five or seven years ago. So maybe <laughs> it's time to do another one, but you know, so it's hard to hard yeah because the it all blends it goes quick and it, the projects blend together and then as soon as kind of like taking a test and as soon as you get done with that one it kind of leaves your disappears. mind and yeah kind of forget all that
0: so but yeah. i know one thing that uh it was chris has has an affinity for designing shop built machines mm-hmm. And so he's done a number of them throughout the history of shop notes and now Woodsmith. And he kind of enjoys the challenge of it because part of it is, um, satisfying. He's kind of a tinker. So he mm-hmm. likes to, you know, come up with clever solutions on stuff. Uh, there's a thriftiness aspect of it. Cause he definitely wants to build, you know, like we did that big edge sander and the thing runs like a champ. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that there are commercial edge sanders and you don't want to build your own edge sander if it's going to cost close to that price because then then the the appeal of it kind of loses a little something. Um, But all of his shop built machines are well under the commercial versions in cost. So you're really into it for your time, which becomes an enjoyment process for the people who like to build those. Um, and I know he's been working on, uh, a 20 inch disc sander mm-hmm. that he wants to do, which would be super cool. He did a one in shop notes, a 12 inch disc sander freestanding that had a, had a spindle on the backside that you could attach like a, like a flap sander or a buffing wheel to, And that was a that was a sweet, sweet machine. Mm-hmm. But the 20 inch disc sander would be nice. I am kind of excited to see how, how that one's going to play out.
2: Yeah. That's the other thing is as, uh, woodworkers for the magazine, we kind of get bored with just building furniture all the time. I know a lot of our readers, that's all they want to see, but we get kind of bored. So we like to mix in motors and other materials for in furniture, like metals and plastics and glass and that kind of thing. So, yeah, we branch out a little bit and you know, kind of learn some other materials as we go. Yeah. So,
0: well, and share our own enthusiasm with a given mm-hmm. branch of woodworking with other people too. I think is has some entertainment value. Or curiosity value for other people. I mean, mm-hmm. even if you're not um, interested in it, it, in, even if you won't do it yourself necessarily, it was fun to read about. Like I was thinking the martini glasses, mm-hmm. Logan, that you and Dylan worked up. Like, I don't drink martinis, but just that process of, you know, the casting and then the turning and whatever. It was, yeah. it was a fun read to yeah, just I could, put that in you, there.
2: You see stuff like that and it's like, oh, I didn't think of using that material that way. And you might not be interested in that project, but you could take that idea and maybe use it someplace else where, where you find it more useful. So yeah. it's always good yeah. to explore and a that, little bit.
1: That's kind of the, the tact I'm taking with popular woodworking now is like Woodsmith's definitely positioned itself as the, the plans magazine. Like that's what we do. Well, right. right. We do that. Well, I mean, we have technique and department, articles all the cool stuff, but really the meat and potatoes is the project plans and it's, you know, to, to rob our sales, I had sales guy of his spiel. Uh, woodsmith's Definitely the type of magazine you take into the shop with you. Whereas, you know, popular woodworking, I want it to be a whole lot less plans. Like I don't, I don't expect that somebody's going to pick up popular woodworking to build the projects out of it. Like woodsmith, somebody would, and that's the that's the point. That's our wow. always been our our driving goal is to get people to build the projects or show them, show them what's possible. Sure. Um, and with pop wood, I'm definitely taking more of the. Um, you know, I want people to find it interesting. The might wow. not do it. They might. They might give it a try. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I want it to be interesting. Unlike Woodsmith. No, uh, I want it to be... I don't want to say entertainment value. I want it to be educational. But I want somebody to read it and pick up on little bits of techniques that they could use in their woodworking. Not in that particular project. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, I guess that's the the better way to, to put it. It's more like trying to give people a little nudge and then letting them run free instead of holding their hand as they build a project. Mm -hmm. So
0: I can see that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And a lot of that comes from having contributing writers, you know, it's hard to get everybody on the same page when you're working with a dozen different writers.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Some of our readers have had a hard time going out, coloring outside the lines as it is. It's like we do these <laughs> step-by-step projects and then mm-hmm. it's like, you know, well, can I use yeah. a different wood or can I use a different finish or what if I want to make it bigger or smaller? It's like, yeah, do all those things. It's like we did it this way and you could change it up and that's totally fine and uh, could change the look a little bit and go with it. So
0: so one of the unique things about woodworking publishing is that there is a seasonality to it in that we see more interest, traffic, comments on the stuff that we do during the fall and winter and into the spring. And then probably around your, I don't know, spring break, Easter, Memorial Day season is when response tapers off and it's kind of dead through the summer. However, I will say that this summer I have gotten quite a bit of woodworking done. So summer is my high season. Mm -hmm. I was able to finish my workbench, complete my workbench. I'll put a picture of that Mm -hmm. up on the show notes page and did the videos for it. That's part of the reason that I have the workbench done is frankly, the videos. And the other part is Becky telling me to get the workbench done <laughs> for the videos. Yes. So, and it was really fun to get it done, shoot some nice photos of it. And then Logan helped me get it into my home shop and replace my bench that I have, which is super cool. I, it just looks amazing in my shop, uh, fits well in there and, and, adds a little visual piece to my woodworking space. Mm-hmm. And I think it turned out really cool. I kind of pushed myself in a couple of areas skill wise or technique wise, and I think it came out really cool. So that was fun to see that pay off there. Mm-hmm. Then I also did a cabinet for my sister, um, in kind of a mid-century style. And I, finished that last week or no the monday of this week and got it taken home which was kind of cool too and one of the things that i wanted to try on it because of its mid-century design and the clean unadorned aesthetic going on with it i was struggling for hardware and i finally found some cool looking like square-ish rectangular pulls for it and i was not sure what to do for hinges and I was inspired by Mr. John Doyle to try European concealed hinges. Um, Just having learned from his experience and then some stuff like from Nancy Hiller and talking to her about and reading about stuff that she's done and how she likes to use European hinges on stuff. So I thought I'd give it a shot. And I've always been a little dismissive of those personally. And I don't know why just, just was probably mm-hmm. ignorance. And I will say it was pretty easy to install the whole setup. And it was nice to be able to have get the hinges installed, clip the doors in place, and then being able to fine tune the fit of those doors with the various adjustment abilities that are in those hinges. So that was kind of cool. Mm
2: hmm. Yeah, admittedly, they're called concealed hinges and you don't see them when the door's closed, but when the door is open, they are there. I mean, right. Yeah. They're a bigger hinge. They're very visible. Yeah. Um, from that manner, but I I mean, I just love the adjustability of them after the fact.
0: Yeah. And the installation process was kind of cool too cuz I uh, I'm doing an article on concealed hinges for the next issue of the magazine and the the component that attaches to the door fits in a mortise, like a round cup, I guess is the Mm -hmm. portion of it. So you drill that with a Forstner bit. And uh, I showed and did it with both the tables or table saw. Yeah. Drilled the mortises with the table saw with a drill press. And then also Craig makes a jig that registers the piece a given setback away from the edge. And I thought that was pretty cool. It worked really well. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of fun to, you know, and then the other one, the other side of it is just drilling two holes on the inside of your cabinet and boom, you put it in, turn a screwdriver in different directions on a couple of screws to adjust the fit. And there you go. Mm -hmm. I liked it.
2: Yeah. I want to say that, uh, working in a cabinet shop. This was a while ago, but I think we had a, you know, specific machine that you draw, you had stops on it and you, you know, put it in place. You had a little foot pedal that it came down and drilled the, the cup in the door in place. And I think it had little press in like fittings where the screw went like plastic Mm. fittings. It would drill it and then come down and press those in. And so it was a pretty cool setup. Kind of like the Craig, uh, drilling, uh, uh, is it the foreman oh, that yeah. type like does the foot pedal thing where it'll drill the holes and yep. as you go. And it was that kind of thing for drilling, um, the cups for the concealed hinges. So it was pretty cool. So if you do a lot of them, you can, you know, come up with a setup in your own shop that makes it really fast and efficient. and
0: Sure. So I also, I mean, it's nice the hinges that i had were also the soft close Mm -hmm. so that it just gently closes and acts as a catch more or less too because it keeps the door closed Mm -hmm. which you know saves another step of having to do you know a magnetic catch or putting in stops and all that kind of stuff so Mm -hmm. anyway it was a lot of fun i enjoyed it it was a those two projects were really cool
2: So off-topic question, um, Right, I thought of this this morning as I was eating breakfast because I grabbed a Twinkie on the way out the door. Right. <laughs> what is your favorite <laughs> snack cake or like little Debbie hostess thing? Because uh, I, I wouldn't consider like an oatmeal cream pie or Star Crunch as a cake, snack cake. But so in that vein, what is, what's your go-to? What's your favorite?
0: I'm in a bit of a morning period. Because my favorite is I think both Hostess and Dolly Madison, the brand, made the little the little hand pies. Mm-hmm. That Ooh, it, yeah. but it's the lemon. Oh yeah. I had like and, a lemon custard on the inside. Yeah, it was like a lemon curd or whatever. Yeah. And um they were fairly rare to begin with. Mm-hmm. But now I think with the, I don't know, it's been a few years already, but you know, when they went bankrupt and then came out of it, I don't know that they make the lemon pies anymore. Um, but that was, that was always my favorite. Mm -hmm. See, I would, I'm kind of in,
1: man, I'm a toss up. I agree with Becky on the cosmic brownies. I love cosmic brownies. Mm -hmm. just that dense, like you know, it's not good for you. Yeah. Right. You like can feel well. it
0: eating away the enamel on your teeth. <laughs> exactly.
1: But I also like the oatmeal cream pies. Mm-hmm. Okay. I yeah. definitely like those.
2: Those used to be one of my favorites, but I think I ate too many and it's just like, no, I don't yeah. like them anymore. Kind of like the yeah. Cadbury egg of Easter. Oh. Like, <laughs> if you eat too many of those and it's just like, okay, I don't ever need one of those again. But Until next yep. Easter. Yeah. But yeah, I think my favorite is probably the Twinkie, uh, the sponge cake with the cream filling. Can't mm-hmm. beat that. And then probably two A and two B would be a tie between uh, the chocolate cupcake with a little swirly frosting on. What are those called? Oh, depending on what. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, or I the, the de- de- depending on what. Or yeah, or. depending on what brand, I suppose. Yep. Yeah. But then tied with the Swiss cake roll for.
1: Second place.
0: All right. I can see that.
1: Yeah. Um, I It's not
0: really a snack cake, but I like the nutty bars. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nutty bars are good. Yep.
1: Because there's Uh, two in a package, so it
0: feels like you're getting more. Right. So
1: second off question topic, how do you guys keep frog poop off your deck? Um, Stop feeding the
0: frogs. Right. I don't have frogs. I have owls in my neighborhood that take care of small vermin. Hmm. You know, I have a lot of owls, but I have
1: frogs all over my deck. But your and deck is, like, really elevated, frog- too. I
0: think that's the oh, I know. part.
1: And, like, you come out here at night, like, when Jim and Clues was in town, we'd sit out here on the deck at night. I mean, you could just see them. They would just crawl out of everywhere. And you could sit here on the picnic table and see, I don't know, 20 of them, probably. Hmm. All right. Um, so what kind of frogs mess. are they? Yeah. Uh, like a tree frog or poison uh, like just... arrow? I could probably catch one real quick if you give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> I know where they hide. That's they're, super funny. Yeah, they're, they're well, they're like they're white. Hmm. They're kind of weird. They're not the little green tree frogs. They're these are yeah. white. So technically, huh. I think they might be toads. Okay. They kind of hmm. look like toads. They pee on you when you pick them up. Probably toads will do. That. I think that's standard nasty. frog mo. Yeah. yeah.
0: That might be just generic amphibian behavior. The problem Mm -hmm. I have in my, with my deck is the number of large trees in our neighborhood and then birds and every year is different, develop a different flight path across Mm -hmm. and through the yard. So you'll get these streaks of like bird poop, you know, that define the vectors of (laughs) flight across it, it, defines the flyways. <laughs> yes, it does. It totally does. There's like this line of, That's you funny. know, it's like, you know, World War II bombing. It just comes right through. Although last year was the worst in that we, it was a very pleasant day out. We had a bunch of windows open and a bird came through and this thing must have been laser guided poop because <laughs> it hit the screen on our kitchen window. And as soon as that poop hit the kitchen window screen, it like atomized. It was like this cluster <laughs> bomb of poop that covered almost every surface yeah. in the
1: kitchen. That's funny.
0: Yeah. Preemptive you know, attack
1: my- by the birds. I I just put up uh, last night, thousand degrees out. It was hot yesterday. But I just put up last night two bird feeders at my house okay. on my deck. So out here where I'm sitting. Um, and I've always wanted bird feeders, and I was up in Minneapolis this weekend, and I stopped over at Matt Cremona's and we were having breakfast out on his deck and stuff. And he had a couple bird feeders out there, and these tiny little, they must have been, like, wrens, maybe, or, you know, white-breasted something. I don't know. They're little guys. Like, there's a bird feeder a foot and a half away from me, and these guys just kept flying in and pecking at it. It was super cool to sit there and watch them. So I'm like, you know what, when I get home, we get a couple bird feeders and put them out. My wife has always said she didn't want me to put bird feeders or bird houses on my deck because she didn't want to deal with the bird poop. That was always her her crux for not allowing me to put the feeders out. But I said, you know what? I'm the man of the house, and I'm saying this to you guys, not her. <laughs> I'm the man of the house. I'm going to put the bird feeders up where I want them. So, All right, then. We'll see. We'll, I'll see if I get fl- poop flyways on my deck. Yeah. We'll see. The birds have not found the feeders yet. So, I'm a little disappointed. The frogs have. (laughs) (laughs) Or the squirrels. Squirrels usually find them first. Yeah. Yep. So, Phil, I'm blaming you for what happened last week when I was delivering your workbench with you.
0: That's true. Because Logan helped me bring the, because he has a pickup truck and I have a Nissan Sentra. And you can imagine in your head the various workbench carrying capacities of each of those vehicles. Yep. Uh, Yep. And I donated my old workbench to the Des Moines Woodworkers and took it to their shop space, yep. which is in next town over West Des Moines here. So Yeah. And which I which is located before, near
1: it was located near a thrift store that I frequent, and having had been out of town for a week, I knew that there would be new stuff in said thrift store, Flea Market. So, quite obviously, because I had an hour to kill, I had to hit said flea market. So, I blame Phil for these. But I did pick up this guy. So, this is a draw knife. I've been, so I had a draw knife for a while. Uh, I was a Lake Erie one. And then, uh, like a listener got a hold of me and said, Hey, you don't happen to have any draw knives. Lakeside is what it was. Uh, You don't happen to have any draw knives for sale, do you? I was like, well, I got one that I was kind of saving for myself, but you know what? I I haven't done anything with it yet. So yeah, here you go. I sold it to him. This guy though, come on. I've been looking for one with the folding handles. Um, So this is a Fulton, uh, patented February 20, 1906. So the handles on it with these little wing nuts uh, fold out so you can store it more easily. Um, these are like little carriage bolts, actually they're square shouldered. So the handles lock over top them. We need to do a little work to this guy, I think to get it back in functioning shape and the handles, I don't know if that will show up on that camera at all for people watching on YouTube, but the handles have been marred up pretty bad over the last hundred years of folding and unfolding. So this might be one of those grind off the nubbin on the cap. Um, and make new handles for this. Uh, um, right. so we'll see it's a 10 incher. So, and it's in pretty good shape. So I'm yeah, I've never seen a
2: butterfly that. style draw a knife before.
1: <laughs> oh it? Uh-uh. yeah. yeah. There, What's next? A nunchuck style. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, so, yeah, so this, this will be fun, um, to mess around with. I'm gonna try to work in some green woodworking into pop wood at some point. So this will be a good purchased down the road. So I'm going to tell my wife, this was a business decision. So
0: there you go. And then the other, it off.
1: the other one. Yeah. The other one that I bought was, uh, completely unnecessary. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't what I would call like a steal of a price. My rule. And I've said this, my rule is always, if I can double my money, I'll buy it because I have the, uh, ability the know how to, to restore the plane, tune it up and get it into somebody's hands. So they can just start using it. So if I can double my, my money, I will, do so um but this is a number six stanley bailey um i haven't i don't know what type it is but i bought this because and i don't know if i can i can get it off let's get it off i bought this It, it, it wasn't a steal um it was an okay price it didn't meet my double my money rule but i bought it because it has one of the coolest front knobs i have ever seen and i'll show you once it Comes off of the stupid post as I'm sitting here unscrewing it. uh it is. It is rosewood, but it has a large streak of sapwood on it. It doesn't show up as well as it does. Oh, that's in cool. Person, yeah. So there's a a huge streak of light colored wood on one side. So it's in good shape. Has a couple small cracks on it, but they're repairable. The tote's in good shape. So um, you know, it might be a. Uh, it might end up being a donor plane. Um, meaning I take the handle and tote for something else. Um, and that's always kind of been a weird, it's a weird subject in the old tool world is like the tote and knob on here. I could list on eBay and probably get 35 bucks for, and then the rest of the parts I could piece out and make more than I would as all uh, than uh, selling the plane as a whole, um, which is kind of a weird thing. And you feel a little dirty about it. So I don't know. We'll see. I bought it because of that knob on the front, but
0: there you go.
1: We'll see. Yeah. So, but those are, that's Phil's fault. Both of those.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I left Logan alone too close to the picker nose. And there you go. And that's what happened. So. Which is weird because I do have a message from your wife about that right there. Yes. So, um. <laughs> yep. Yep.
1: Well. Wow. Total business <laughs> decision.
0: <laughs> Write it off. Write it off. Yep. All right, I think that wraps up another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. I'll have links to some of the things that we were talking about in today's show on our show notes page. You can find that at Woodsmith.com slash podcast. Uh, Otherwise, if you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, you can leave them in the comments section on our YouTube channel, where you can also watch today's episode. You can also send us an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Otherwise, we'll see you again next week for another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Bye, everybody. This episode of Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith
2: Plans. You'll find nearly a thousand plans covering everything that you'd want to build. Furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com.